Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. In this episode, the conversation takes a deeper dive into the Living Longer, Living Better guide. Guest host, Dr. Joanne Burke, chair of the Indiana Commission on Aging, leads a conversation with a panel of experts from St. Mary's College, Notre Dame, Indiana, Dr. Sue Anderson and nursing students, Kane Bolant and Kelly Lipp. They discuss preparing advanced practice nurses for leadership roles to help local communities and their healthcare providers develop age and dementia-friendly initiatives and improve population health by addressing issues related to social determinants of health. Now, let's get this conversation started. For the past three years, I've taught a course for the doctoral nursing program at St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana. The course addressed social determinants of health that have been linked to chronic diseases in the later years. The students in that course assisted me in the development of the guide, the Living Longer, Living Better guide that I developed for the Indiana Commission on Aging that is focused on encouraging local communities to develop age and dementia friendly initiatives as Indiana moves to deinstitutionalize the care of older adults who need long-term services and supports and are eligible to receive Medicaid to fund the services. In addition, the guide encourages healthcare entities to work in collaboration with the Aging Services Network and to address social determinants of health that contribute to the development of chronic diseases in the communities they serve. Nursing leadership is vital to this effort in local communities and in health systems. Today, we have Dr. Sue Anderson, Associate Professor and Director and Department Chair of Nursing Science at St. Mary's College, Notre Dame, Indiana. In addition, we have two doctoral nursing students at St. Mary's College who are pursuing careers in nursing leadership. We have Kelly Lipp and Kane Boland. We're happy to have them with us today too. We will discuss how the nursing curriculum is designed to develop this nursing leadership for advanced practice nurses, and we'll ask the doctoral students to discuss projects they are doing that are enhancing their leadership competencies. First of all, Dr. Anderson, we'd like to have a talk with you. And the DNP program at St. Mary's College is addressing issues related to population health and population aging. Help us understand the importance of these issues in nursing leadership education programs today. Dr. Anderson. Thank you, Dr. Burke. So what I would say about St. Mary's College is our mission really focuses on the care of vulnerable populations and we want to improve health outcomes. And we find that our DNP program really is the melding of the best of science and the best of art in providing care for our geriatric population. We are really working to add to our geriatric content by adding um, MSN to DNP content, focusing on geriatric neuropsychiatry and palliative care. Our DNP program really focuses on social entrepreneurship. And in this social entrepreneurship track, our students are able to develop projects that are meaningful within their communities. Well, I found that the students that 
I'm working with in the course that I've been teaching for three years are very much focused on looking not only in the community, but also with their health systems they're working in. And they're very uh, attentive to community health surveys that are being done and to other issues related to, to population health. How are you integrating that type of air material into your program? What courses are focus, helping to focus them in on some of these issues, population aging and population health? Do you have particular projects they're doing that uh, is helping bring their focus to that? It's really threaded throughout our DNP practice innovation project courses where students choose topics of interest to them and they work with key stakeholders within their communities. And they really dig into the literature and find what the guidelines are that have not been put into practice within their communities. It's um, been a while since I have taken nursing courses myself. Uh, in the content, is this some of this in the undergraduate curriculum as well as the graduate curriculum? I would say it's really more threaded throughout the graduate curriculum. They come into our program and they begin taking courses such as data analytics. They take an advanced statistics course so that they're really able to understand the bigger picture of what population health means. Um, they take social entrepreneurship where they focus on topics of interest to them. So we have many students have focused on topics in geriatrics. Okay, let's talk to some of our students and uh, take a look at uh, what their interests are and what they're focusing on in their doctoral work. Kelly, could you tell us a bit about what you're do, who you are and what you're doing and your interests in uh, your projects right now, please? Yes, hi, my name is Kelly Lip. I currently live in Valparaiso, Indiana. I've been working um, with the geriatric population uh, for the past three years since I became a nurse. I worked in a long-term nursing, uh, skilled nursing rehab facility. I did hospice for a little bit, and now I'm looking, I'm doing case management um, in a retirement community. Working in hospice, I saw that there was a big gap in patients and family members that understood what advanced care planning was and filling out um, end-of-life care paperwork um, and documents that show what their goals of care are. And on hospice, it felt like this should have been a conversation that they had before they were referred to hospice. So noticing that trend and then working in a retirement community, I've noticed that a lot of the residents there also haven't reassessed or re-looked at their goals of care as they age are and as their health changes. So I'm looking at doing um, a community level education program on advanced care planning and what that means to them and to their loved ones and how they can bring these conversations up when they go see their providers. A lot of the research I've read has looked at how to get providers to have these conversations and it has identified barriers that providers have with having these conversations and not a lot of the information is looking at what is being done in the communities to educate uh, the patients and the individuals on moving forward with bringing these conversations to their providers um, to overcome some of these barriers. So Kelly, you are, um, when you say community education, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you have in mind for that or what you're thinking about? 
Yes, so I'm looking at utilizing the prepare for your care model and educating geriatric residents in this uh, retirement community I'm living in, but hoping to involve more community members if possible as well and showing them the provided video program and doing an analysis before and after to see if they have learned and feel more comfortable bringing this topic up at their next appointment or reassessing what the current documents they have filled out and making sure that those align with what their healthcare goals are. I'm going to invite Dr. Anderson and Kara to comment or ask questions here. Or to, this sounds like it's something that's advanced care planning. I've heard this discussed for years, but it, uh, somehow we can't quite get it going where we seem to want it to be. Any comments? Kara, on the work you do around the state around some of these issues? So I'll just say that we have several people on our team here at QSource who are respecting choices, trainers, and we've done a lot of work with advanced care planning, especially around um, the post form, but also education I feel is needed um, around the different types of living wills and and what is the most appropriate form and how do I fill it out and not waiting until we're at that crisis mode where we're trying to make quick decisions. So I'm super excited, Kelly, about about your program. We've been doing this work um, for a long time. Um, I travel Indiana and um, to the nursing homes and definitely a need in the nursing homes especially if not even before in the communities before they get to the nursing home where we can make sure that we are updating and making you know we have people who were 50 and made a living well and when they're 60 or 70 their wishes may change um, and as their conditions change so definitely a need very excited for that work that you're doing kelly for sure I would like to add, too, that this is the beauty of nursing education and doctoral education in nursing. Um, just as Kelly has said, th these ideas grow organically from their clinical experience, and then they're able to come into our DNP program and really investigate meaningful issues to them and to their community. And our DNP project really is designed to improve that one person's health, but also to have an impact on the greater healthcare system. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kelly, for sharing your, your project with us. We appreciate that. We also have Kane Bullant with us. Kane is uh, another of my uh, DNP students. And Kane, would you tell us about your project, please? Um, I'll be glad to. My name's Kane. I've been a nurse for about nine years now, and the passions that I have for nursing stem around palliative care and hospice care. For most of my nursing career, I've been in hospice world, and I've seen, like Kelly, a lot of people that aren't, aren't prepared for end of life, and I see the need for an improvement of quality of life for those people that even before they come to the end of when they're appropriate for hospice care. And my project has evolved as um, Dr. Anderson would attest to. It started out very broad and I am focusing it now. Um, I was very um, 
fortunate to have a meeting with the QSource ladies, and um, they actually got me in touch with the Dementia Friends in Indiana, and I had a, a really productive meeting with those representatives, and they gave me a more of a pinpoint on where they see the issues um, that are really needed in the community for dementia, because my my basic thought was to improve quality of life, and of course, you know, that's a that's a big thing to, to tackle. And as Dr. Anderson has told me, you can't fix the world. <laughs> you have to start li with little pieces. So through that research, and, and I'm just in the beginnings of the research, but I've been diving into that after those meetings with um, dementia friends. And what I'm seeing is that the need for diagnosis in a primary care setting of dementia, of Alzheimer's disease, is, is a big barrier to to quality of life for those people, especially in the early stages of the disease. And what I'm seeing in the research, what it's showing me is that there are many barriers to that perceived by the providers themselves. Part of that, what I'm seeing is that they feel that they lack the education of the dementia patient in the family. Surely they know the physiology and, and what medicines to prescribe, but the whole person of that dementia or Alzheimer's patient they're not very comfortable with is what I'm seeing in the literature. So the education, and then they also lack some of the tools to provide support for those patients. A lot of what I've, I've heard was, well, if I diagnose the dementia, what do I do with that patient? What do I do? I can give them X, X drug, but I don't know how to manage them. And so there are things that we can, skills and, and tools that we can, there are interventions that can help the family and the patient, meaning support, direction to groups like Dementia Friends and the work groups in the area, programs like Kelly has been talked about, about getting your advanced care planning in. Because, you know, as the disease progresses and as people age, it does what matters most you know, thinking of the 4M care model, what matters most does change. I've noticed it in my own life, about every five years, <laughs> the, what matters most to me changes somewhat. So that's where my project is headed. It's headed towards education to primary care providers. I'm hoping to be able to reach out to physicians, but I think that this project would be really well pointed to the nurse practitioner because the nurse practitioner in, in general can have a more holistic view in their care of the patient. So that's where I'm hoping to bring the project to those providers to see if we can help their comfortable, to make them, help them be more comfortable in making that diagnosis and continuing care for those patients. Thank you so much, Kane, for sharing that. I enjoyed learning about your interest in the course. It is very interesting how we deal with dementias. I'm going to direct this next uh, question to Kara. CMS has not focused on dementia and their scope of work for the QIOs, I don't believe, which I find very interesting. I know infectious diseases are very, very important, and we need to address those issues as well as use of psychotropic medications uh, or misuse of them, a number of, of those issues. But Kara, any thoughts on 
dementias and the QIO work right now, and then Kane, I'll get back to your project again. I just would like to hear the QIO perspective on dementias and what's happening in their scope of work with CMS right now with that. So although dementia isn't a specific focus, many of our initiatives, decreasing antipsychotics, decreasing ADEs, working in the nursing home realm and in the community realm, we have really brought the topic of dementia and addressing dementia into those areas. So in our community coalitions, many times we'll have projects that address not only our measures, all that intertwines together. And so it also addresses dementia. And many of us on our team have been through dementia friends. And so we see the importance. And so while working on our measures, we also incorporate that dementia piece into our work because it is a super important piece when you're talking about working with the geriatric population. Although not a direct initiative, um, we just do do a lot of work around dementia. We're part of the Dementia Coalition and for Indiana and participate on that in that meeting. And so in an indirect way, we are touching and very much involved in helping to uh, provide resources and education uh, for that population as well. Well, that's very helpful. It's not addressed directly that I saw in the work that you're saying it's it's mingled in with with most of the other work you're doing. Uh, I remember over the years when I worked as a nurse in nursing homes, when we began to use medication, thinking that would help. And then we had that those horrendous jerry chairs thinking we were keeping people safe so they didn't fall on the floor. And then we found out restraining people made them more anxious and so forth. But we still aren't aren't addressing this as well as we could right in primary care where people come in and with their families and are starting to get concerned because they can't remember things or they got lost when they were out on the drive, can't remember how to do things and it's, it shows up and and then where to go in the community again. Where do you refer people for assistance? We need, I think, assistance with that in, in home care. Uh, home health care needs more training in it. Adult day centers need more training in it. Uh, staff and assisted living, Kelly would have to speak to that. And nursing care facilities. I mean, CNAs don't get a whole lot of... Joanna, this is Kara again. And I, I wanted to just jump in and also say quickly that QSource does have several members on the Indiana team who have gone through the TIPA SNOW, Positive Approach to Care Dementia Training. And three of us have also gone through the advanced training in that um, series. And so we have been distributing that education to facilities. We'll, we'll distribute it on the community level, um, even to the provider level, so that they are aware of the different things and different techniques of how you approach and what the resident and or patient are going through in the different stages of dementia. That has been very successful and very sought out, um, especially in our long-term care sector um, to get that training. Yeah, I know they're doing quite a bit of work with that down at the University of Southern Indiana, Evansville, 
the Alzheimer's Association uh, chapter in Indianapolis is doing quite a bit. And then up in South Bend, you have the Northern Indiana Alzheimer's and Dementia Services Institute for Excellence in Memory Care. They're doing a lot of work up there and have a very innovative new uh, international model in their uh, adult day center up there in South Bend. So I think that's going to get a lot of attention, but I'm going to, to move over to the work that uh, another student, Jillian Witt, was unable to be with us today, but she uh, works in intensive care units in the hospital and has been, her project addresses the management of delirium in hospitals in intensive care units. Another one of those issues that nursing leadership is very involved in, I think. Any comment on that project, Dr. Anderson? I'm actually not her chair, so I'm not that familiar okay. with it. So I really can't, but I can talk about another project that was completed in Oregon. One of our, our DNP students completed a geriatric um, screening scale or she implemented this geriatric screening scale in a primary care practice in rural Oregon and had very significant results. Um, they were able to diagnose things like sarcopenia, um, memory issues, frailty, and nutritional deficiencies in um, several of the patients that had been overlooked. Her article has been accepted for publication I'd also like to circle back to your earlier question about what, how our program encourages um, this type of inquiry. And I would say that our program really starts out broad with students. We start with topics such as communication, and then we move into evidence-based practice. So the students are able to broadly investigate these areas of interest to them. And then they're able to kind of really dig into the literature and find out what the issues are and where the gaps in care are. By the time they get into their um, seventh semester when they enter their DNP project courses, they have a really solid idea about the topic that they want to investigate. And then in these DNP project courses, we keep narrowing it and narrowing the topic. And I think you heard Kane say she started out really broad and we've been able to narrow it into something very meaningful and very manageable. Well, I hope this podcast and and we are uh, targeting this to a very broad audience, but I'm hoping that what we're trying to do is bring a focus to the contribution of nursing leadership to these issues of population aging and population health and to the contributions that nursing can make in this these areas. I gave a presentation to the Indiana Geriatric Society a year ago, and there was quite a, a broad audience in uh, that presentation and talked about the guide, talked about what we were trying to do across Indiana to encourage Asian dementia-friendly initiatives. And Indiana is in the midst of a, a rather major cultural shift in the care of older adults as 62% of the beds in, in nursing home beds in Indiana are funded by Medicaid. We've had a very strong nursing home lobby in Indiana, and we just haven't developed our home and community-based services as widely as some states have. About half the states have moved to a managed care format for paying for the care of long-term care services for older adults who are on Medicaid. 
and Indiana's in the midst of doing that currently. And that means we are going to need to develop our home and community-based services. So it just seemed like it was a wonderful time to bring all of you together and talk about the contribution of nursing leadership as Indiana makes this, this culture change. I will be giving a presentation in a, about three weeks to another group. And I was thinking, you know, if we turn the, the clock back for about a hundred years, we've had a lot of change in how we're, we're caring for, for older people. If we go back to 1922, I really don't know much about the care of my great grandparents, but I, there were a few uh, homes for the aged run primarily by faith communities, I think. There were county homes where older adults who had no one to care for them often resided. There are a few of those left in Indiana. It was family care for the most part, caring for older adults. Now, what was different back then was we had more children in, in each generation while women from all different backgrounds and races and ethnicities have worked out of the home, we had more women at home at that point in time. So it was primarily women who were taking care of the older adults in the families. We have a change in that now because we have more women working out of the home than we did during that era of time. We really didn't have the nursing home industry was built on Medicaid primarily Medicaid and Medicare. The Older Americans Act, Medicaid, Medicare were passed in, legislation was passed in 1965 that brought those programs about. Since 1970 or so, we've become accustomed to having nursing homes. While we'll still have nursing homes, if we will need nursing home care, less of the population that is eligible for Medicaid and for uh, long-term services and supports, less of that population will be going to nursing homes, more home and community-based services. So it's really um, a good time to hear how nursing leadership is becoming involved in this. We have two geriatric workforce enhancement program grants in Indiana. One is at the University of Southern Indiana. The other is at IU School of Medicine. And I thought it would be very good to hear about how we have a college in Northern Indiana and what you're doing to address these issues in the nursing curriculum there. This, these changes and improvements and some of our enhancements with this are not only happening in these uh, federally funded programs, they're also happening in the curriculum across the state. But I just wanted to uh, thank QSource for giving us an opportunity to share some of the work being done up in northern Indiana here in that nursing program. Very much want to thank Dr. Sue Anderson for her uh, for coming on to this podcast today and sharing about your program and to Kane and Kelly and want to wish you well in your projects. Kara, I want to just give a shout out and say thank you so much for all the work that you have been doing Anyway, but through this COVID pandemic, you have been spending, I don't know how many hours a week through your QIO work in nursing homes, trying to help manage some of the challenges that COVID has brought to us. So 
Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.